Thank you, Lord. Wow. <laughs> That's a pretty cool greeting from a long way away. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, this is a, a first experience for Sherry and I uh, to be asked by our home church in Canada to share while Pastor Dave and Pastor Isle are in Burundi, in Bujumbura Christian Life Assembly, or Christian Life Ministries. It's so cool that we can exchange and, and be here together. When Pastor Dave asked uh, Sherry and I to speak a few weeks ago, uh, we had just come back from Burundi. For, we've been there for three months for ministry, and, and so we counted a tremendous privilege this morning to be able to share with you a little bit of our story, a little bit of our uh, walk with God in the area of prayerfulness. Yeah, and this is going to be very special for us because of the fact that God answers prayer. Elmer and I have been honored to share and be part of mission for 42 years on the continent of Africa. Don't I look it? 42 good solid years. And I'm telling you, we have raised our three children there. We spent seven years in Zambia, 10 in Kenya, 14 in Rwanda, and now we're working up towards the anniversary of CLM Burundi on June the 6th for their 10th year. So we've been thankful and grateful to God for this opportunity. Planting churches, empowering a young generation of men and women who want to change their communities for the glory of God, that's our passion. It motivates us and it thrills us as we watch the transformation that God is making. It would take a whole book to tell you the entire story. And it's not fair on one Sunday morning to be given a few minutes to tell you what God has done. But we gotta start somewhere. And if you come home, we'll continue the story. It's awesome to see the myriads and amazing, massive miracles that we have seen God do over the last 42 years. It's not because of us. And it's not because of anything that any of us can do. It's because he is almighty God. And the miracles of provision and healing and salvation and deliverance that we have experienced over these years is not an exaggeration. What you at APEA really need to understand this morning is when you've prayed for missionaries in general or specific, you have prayed for God's heart to be complete, for him to hear and see and be able for us to participate in what God has given us to do. So don't think the stories we're going to tell you today are all about us. They're all about God and they're in answer to your prayers. This is your mission. This is your mission. If you belong to this church, you are part of what God has done and what God is going to do. So we're excited to be able to share a little bit. Do you know God has no favorites? It has nothing to do with being a missionary or being a global worker. It has everything to do about being an obedient servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he answers because he's God, and he answers because he loves us. And uh, if you see Elmer and I nipping out of here every once in a while, you need to understand that we are now part-time workers, and we now say we are based in Abbotsford, but bent to Africa. 
The things that we've seen God do are forever imprinted on our lives, and so you will see us going back and forth as God gives us strength. Because you know what? We're part of an eternal program. Here in my beloved country of birth that I've been so rarely able to spend time in, I might be considered a declining senior citizen. But let me tell you, in the kingdom of God, I am full of life and overflowing because he who the sun sets free is free indeed, and I run in the path of your commands, for you set my heart free. Last week, Pastor uh, Nick helped us to get started on this process of prayerfulness, and I loved his definition. I'd like us to read this together. Can you please read as loudly as you can from the screen the definition of prayerfulness? Prayerfulness is a way of living founded in our relationship with God. Prayer permeates everything we do and influences our actions. This brings transformation as we invite God to reign in every aspect of our lives. Prayerfulness embodies who we are called to be and how we are called to live. And so for today, let's get focused by reading Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I am going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end, so don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? Prayer works, and the lesson here is always pray and never give up. The Bible says that one day Jesus told his disciples a story. Now, when you read through the Gospels, you read, you read that many, many times he told stories. And this is one thing that I love about the ministry of Jesus. Wherever he was preaching or teaching, he always told practical stories from everyday life that people could relate to in order to help his listeners understand the truth that he was sharing with them. That's a little bit what Sherry and I are going to be doing this morning, share a bit of our story to illustrate that prayer really works. This particular story in Luke 18 that we just read is between an extremely vulnerable widow seeking justice in a dispute where someone is trying to rip her off. And on the other hand, there's an uncaring, egocentric, unjust judge who could care less about God, people, or justice. Yet at the end of the day, this wicked judge intervenes with proper judgment 
and finally settles the case to get this persistent widow off his back. Notice what finally convinces him and, and he gives a proper judgment. Verse 4. He says, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. I'm sure you've read this story as many times as I have. And I have wondered why Jesus used the illustration of a wicked, unjust judge who refused to give justice to a widow in order to drive home the point that God wants his people to pray and never give up. Why did he use an unjust judge for that? In the first instance, we need to understand the context of this story. The parable of the persistent widow and the unjust judge follows Jesus' teaching in chapter 17 about the inevitable troubles the disciples of Christ will have and experience before his second coming. Jesus predicted before his return that the days would be as wicked as the days of Noah before the flood or the same as Sodom and Gomorrah. Can you imagine the wickedness of Noah's time and the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah being repeated all over again? We thought that was history. But actually when we look around us today, we see it happening all over again and coming closer and closer and closer to home all the time. The only way Christ's followers would be able to overcome the wickedness of this world and to live pure and clean lives and be ready for a second coming is through persistent faith and unrelenting prayer. Beloved, I don't understand, I don't know what you understand about the times before the second coming of Christ. But my personal conviction is this. I don't think this generation is far off from the days that Jesus was talking about in Luke 17. Hence the need for each one of us to be prayerful in every season of life. The two most important attributes of a good judge are a justice heart, a regard for justice, a respect for justice, and a compassion for people. And this judge in this story had neither. I know it's redundant. This story starts with Jesus' purpose. In most parables, you don't hear about the purpose till the end. This one starts clearly telling us, friends, don't give up praying. Right from the very beginning, we see this is a truth. He had no compassion. He didn't care about widows. They were the least of society. You know how there's a stigma that has been there associated with widows. This story about the unjust judge is an absolute contrast to our Father in heaven who gives holy and righteous judgment at all times. God loves to answer the prayer of his people. When we come to God in persistent prayer, we're not driving him crazy. 
We're just leaning in and building our relationship with him, trusting him a little more and a little more as we get to know him better. In prayer, we don't order God around. It's not up to us to give him a command. Prayer is simply bringing our requests and petitions to the creator of the universe, the maker of all things who will ultimately give us what he knows is best for us in every given circumstance. God has never made one single mistake in answering prayer. Never from the beginning of time. God always answers, not necessarily according to what we want, but according to his wisdom and righteous judgment. Jesus taught his disciples in the New Testament times and shows us as his disciples now that we should always pray and never give up. Two of my favorite examples of persistent prayer come from a precious scene that is related to the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 38. You can take it home and read it. Luke chapter 2 has this story, verses 25 to 38, of two of my favorite characters. I don't call them the backstage hand. I don't call them supporting actors. I call them front row people. Simeon was waiting for an answer from God. He had prayed and prayed. He had reason to know God was going to send the Messiah. And he waited in constant relationship with God. And then there was a widow, by the way, whose name was Anna. And she too waited with persistence, knowing that she would see the Lord's Christ. How much of an example that is. Part of the story where we think about the wise men and the shepherds and we forget Simeon and Anna, but for me, they're front row. They've been waiting for the coming of the Messiah, and hallelujah, they saw answered prayer. Lord, you can take me now. I've seen the Lord Christ. Hallelujah. So, friends, this has been an opportunity for us to look at what the scripture says. And I think about Anna, and I think about Simeon, not diverted by things in this world, but fasting and praying and looking forward, expecting the fulfillment of God's word. That's how I want to be in touch with God. I want to be so ready, so persistent, so ready to see his intervention that I'll be listening to the whispers of the Holy Spirit ready at any moment for him to come through with dynamic answer to prayer. Um, answers to prayer aren't always big and upfront. Sometimes when we tell people we've seen thousands of people come to know Jesus as Savior, okay, what's that? I think here we've come to the point where we don't recognize the miracle of salvation. Darkness to light. Oh, how precious. And yes, I'm not exaggerating when I see thousands of people coming to walk with Christ and become his disciple. How wonderful is this? How much of an answer to prayer is this? So, not all of the prayer things that happen happen as big miracles that are broadcast everywhere. Sometimes they start in the laundry room. Elmer and I have a story about a, I call it the good tidings story. I know in Canada you have to be a little bit sensitive about, like, are you advertising for a company? I'm not, but I can't resist this. 
When we opened our boxes after landing in Zambia in 1980, we had packed in a box of Tide. And that box of Tide was in our basic provision because we didn't know what we would find. And I didn't know what laundry soap would look like in Africa. I was a little Canadian lady, so I didn't know what to expect. That box of Tide tells a story like that little widow of Zarephath's. That box of Tide kept on going. Let me say week after week, month after month, through absolutely filthy red soil on the children's clothes, through the banana peels that were dropped on the ground, through the cement on Elmer's work clothes. Let me tell you, that box of Tide never ran out month after month as I was continuing to grow in my trust in the Savior, the God of Heaven. Good tidings! Your good tidings are overflowing. It can be in the everyday. It can be in the ordinary. But trust God. He knows how to do exactly what we have need of. And he knows how to provide. So that's my good tidings story. If you ever want me to tell it to you at Christmas, I'll try to do it with a little more flair. Right now, <laughs> what I want to know is, Elmer, if you're going to tell us a little bit about another experience for us where we have proven the miraculous hand of God when you had a brain tumor. Seems like a while back now. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. 1985, we were in Zambia five years already. We had uh, pastored in Livingston, then we had moved up to Lusaka, pastoring the North Mid Church. I was doing a, a wedding one Saturday afternoon for a young couple in the church. I was almost at the end of the wedding ceremony and I had led them through the vows and I had pronounced them husband and wife and it's, it was my turn to pray the last prayer before the signing of the register. And as I was praying that last prayer in the, in the congregation with the, with the young couple, with everybody there, all of a sudden it felt like an explosion in my head and I couldn't finish the prayer. I mumbled a few incoherent things, but it certainly did not make sense to me, and it certainly didn't make sense to the congregation. And I knew I was in deep trouble. I realized I had lost my speech, but I was glad at that point that I had enough of my faculties about me to walk off the platform and go to the room where the couple would sign the register. Sherry was playing the keyboard for the wedding, at that time, and somehow she helped to get the couple off the stage and make their way back to the room where we would sign the register. And, and uh, by the time that the couple arrived, I somehow had recovered by the grace of God enough to sign the wedding certificate and finish the ceremony. After the wedding was over, I told Sherry what happened, and we were both shocked and confused by the experience, but thinking was only a one-time experience, I didn't really take any more thought of it until next week. I was working at my office desk and I was sitting in, in, um, at the church office when all of a sudden, boom, this crazy thing hit again. This time it was hours before I could speak coherently. 
and I was completely weak as a puppy. The secretary called Sherry, and she came, rushed me to the medical clinic, the best one we had in Lusaka. They checked all that they could, but they didn't have enough equipment. They didn't have the expertise to, to find the cause of what was going on in my body. So Sherry took me home, called the leaders of the church together, and they decided that I should be taken to Zimbabwe, where at that time they still had great doctors and up-to-date scanning. I wouldn't trust that today, but back then they did. The road trip to, from Lusaka to Harare is another story in itself. Suffice, suffice it to say that Sherry thought, and I thought at one point, that I was going to die at the border. Those are not easy days. When we finally arrived in Harare, Zimbabwe, and I was admitted straight into the hospital, where I experienced more of these horrendous episodes. Extreme vertigo, losing my speech for hours at a time, being completely inca incapacitated. And then after some hours, slowly things would return to a somewhat normal, whatever that was going to look like at that point. The doctors took me through tests and more tests, scans and angiograms. I was eventually diagnosed with a brain tumor the size of a golf ball on my left temporal lobe that affected my speech, my balance, my coordination. God provided a highly qualified neurosurgeon specialist to be available when we needed him. And as he saw the situation and looked it all over, he said, Sherry and Elmer, Elmer, you needed an immediate operation. He said, I can do it right here, but I can't give you a guarantee whether you're going to live or die through this operation. I suggest that you go back to Canada so your wife and your children would have some family support if things go bad. The doctor also concluded that I didn't have an aneurysm, so it would be safe to fly, but only if I had a nurse to accompany me on the plane. Now, how in the world do you find a nurse that can go from Africa to Canada to accompany a guy with a brain tumor? By the grace of God, Ruth and Glenn Caulfield were serving as POC missionaries in, in Zimbabwe, and Ruth was working as a registered nurse in Harare, and she was able to get time off uh, work to accompany me to Canada as per doctor's orders. Otherwise, it wouldn't let me on the plane. The second thing you re recommended is, I want you to lay flat as much as possible. Well, how do you lay flat on a crowded international airport or airplane? Not enough space for that. Again, God's miracles happening day after day, time after time. On very short notice, God miraculously provided first-class tickets for Ruth and I to fly from Zimbabwe to Alberta. And he also, on that same flight, got seats for Sherry and the children. Now, they were in the back of the plane somewhere. I don't know where they were. I couldn't even get out of my seat to see them, but... I reclined in first class one and only time in my life. One and only time, love. 
Why did it have to be when I had a brain tumor anyways? Could have enjoyed it. You know something? We don't know to this day who organized who paid for those tickets. For a whole family, two people going first class, three in, in, in economy, that was, a, that was a bill. Talk about God's <coughs> divine intervention and answers to prayer. I want to tell you this morning, and this is our point, prayer works. Yeah. Prayer yeah. works. Mm -hmm. Arriving in Canada, I experienced my one and only ambulance ride from Edmonton International Airport to the University Teaching Hospital, and I was introduced to an awesome team of neosurgeons. They were astounded by the quality of scans that came from Zimbabwe. And I told them, as we met for the first meeting together in the hospital area, I told them, I said, I have come all the way from Africa. I put myself on your hands. I am in your hands. Please do whatever it takes to fix me up. All I want to do is go back to Africa. But I want you to know this, and I said this to the doctors that were there. There was a number of doctors around my bed. I want you to know this. I believe in a miracle working God. In fact, a miracle did happen between the last scan from Zimbabwe and the first scan in Edmonton. The tumor had shrunk to half the original size that it was in Zimbabwe. See how prayer works? Prayer works, my friends. The doctors in Edmonton couldn't figure out this thing out. They said, brain tumors don't behave like this. They said, we can't operate until we know what's going on. And that's when the blood tests, CT scans, probing and poking for real began. I'm sure that I gave more blood than an ox could give. They bled me dry, my goodness me. So many people were praying for me. The North Mead Church that we were pastoring, four young men, And a missionary lady went on a total fast for 21 days praying for the pastor's healing. And then they continued on because this was months time. They continued on to intercede until I came back to Africa. Thousands of people across Canada, POC in Canada. Churches were praying all across this, this land, they, it was advertised in the PCA, and some of you are old enough to remember those days, you will remember those stories and, and, and praying for the Comans and praying for Elmer. Sherry and I certainly prayed as well for healing, but in times like these, I'm so glad that we belong to a wonderful family of God. We as a family, Sherry and I and the children, were literally carried, uplifted, and pulled through the crisis with prevailing, relentless, persistent prayer. Let me assure you, prayer works. I wouldn't be here today except for the persistent prayers of God's people and a merciful God who answers prayer. Amen. This went on for several months. I was usually in the hospital from Monday to Friday for tests and scans, but they would often give me a weekend pass to be out with Sherry and the kids on the weekends. 
At that time, Amy was only six months old. Jeff was five and Rochelle seven. I wasn't afraid to die. There was never a time that I was afraid to die, but I, I sure didn't want my kids to have to grow up without a dad or to think that they'd have to push me around in a wheelchair like I saw so many of those in the neurosurgeon war with me. War with me. It, was, it was sickening to watch that. Scary. It was always an emotional roller coaster leaving Sherry the kids on a weekend, on a Sunday night or Monday to go back to hospital having no idea what would happen next. Yeah. Sometimes we waited for weeks for one result or the other from tests. After the third miserable lumbar puncture, the fourth one completely crippled me. I could not sit or walk for many weeks. I could only crawl on my hands and knees or lay flat. I would crawl from the bedroom to the kitchen to be with the family at mealtime. I would lay on the floor while Sherry and the kids ate at the table. I would eat my food laying on the floor. Things seemed to go from bad to worse. Anybody identify with that? Sometimes seem, things seem to go from bad to worse. Yet all over Canada and back in Africa, believers were praying nonstop for my healing. On one of my weekend passes, the elders of my father-in-law's church came to the house to anoint me with oil and pray the prayer of faith for healing, according to James chapter 5. I remember crawling on my hands and knees from the bedroom to the living room that Sunday night when they came to pray for me. I laid across a footstool. I couldn't sit. I laid across, hung across a footstool, and they anointed me, prayed for me, and left. I crawled back to bed and went to sleep. The Monday morning I woke up and I felt something completely different. I actually got out of bed, stood up, and walked to the kitchen for the first time in many weeks. Tuesday afternoon, I was out riding bike with the kids. On Friday afternoon, I was loading hay bales on my uncle's farm. My back was completely healed and restored. Prayer works. The following week, the neosurgeon scheduled a CT guided biopsy of the tumor. He came to my room and gave me a rundown of the whole procedure. Talk about, he told me how they would shave my head, drill a hole through my skull. That would have taken a long time. And, and take a biopsy. Before he left the room, he ordered one more scan. And then he said, I'll see you tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock in the operating room. A few hours after that scan, one of the surgeon's interns showed up at my bedside. He said, Mr. Cobalt, he said, I've got good news. The scan we took a couple of hours ago is completely clear. He said, I can't see a brain tumor. The tumor is gone. But he said, I can't do anything about it until the surgeon sees it in the morning. Or talks about and I worried. On, I, don't, I didn't sleep. I could only think. I was so vain, thinking my head shaved. I've never had my head shaved in my life. There's all kinds of lumps and bumps on this thing, so you don't want to see it. <laughs> I thought, why do I have to have my head shaved if, if I, there's no brain tumor there? 
So I worried all night long. I was sick with worry. The next morning, the nursing station prepped me for the operation. I was sitting in the wheelchair at the nursing station, ready to be wheeled down to the operating room, and I heard the phone ring. The head surgeon called up and he said, don't send Elmer down. And three hours later, the neurosurgeon and six doctors were standing beside my bed. He said, Mr. Comont, we have good news. We don't know where this brain tumor came from, and we don't know where it's gone, but you're a free man. That was a pretty awesome moment in that hospital room and me lay still on the bed like this. I sensed the glory of the Lord Hallelujah. come down in that room with all those doctors, seven doctors standing around my bed as I gave praise and glory to our miracle working God. They knew that God had done a miracle. Prayer works. Jesus said, always pray and never give up. Beloved, I want us to understand this today, that prayer works. Not necessarily the timing we want or how we expect it to work. Often, not at all on our terms, but I'm fully convinced that God answers prayer always according to his will. Sometimes it is an immediate intervention. Sometimes it's wait. And sometimes God has a completely different plan than we could ever ask or imagine. But we can always rest assured of this. He is our good, good father. He's always righteous and just. God is always absolutely loving, completely trustworthy in all of his ways. And so with that story, my friends, you can understand, we need another hour. <laughs> Elmer and I had prepared our hearts to carry on, but I have to finish with this part of the story, finish because, story. you know, just in case you were wondering why it would take such a big drill to go through Elmer's head. Yeah, well, when we got back to North Mead, Lusaka, Zambia, we had come on a plane. The balcony of the airport was ringing with a song of Christ as people sang, Our God Reigns. And Elmer and I walked across that tarmac to the sound of victory. <laughs> We walked across the tarmac, went to church the first Sunday afterwards, after having been so well received, and guess what? Elmer was to just sit on the platform so everybody could grasp the miracle that God had done. And he sat there, and one of the deacons said something that has become very famous wherever we go. He said, the doctors completed all those kinds of tests, and they looked, and they looked, and they looked, and there was nothing there. 
I'm telling you, friends, God is faithful and gracious. Elmer and I have prepared ourselves this morning. We could tell you three stories that we really wanted to share, but we are just going to stop here today and tell you. Our God reigns. He answers prayer. And you may be like us in the middle of a storm right now where you're hanging on to God for an answer to prayer. We would never have guessed that coming to home to Canada now, then going back, this last trip, we were just landed there. And all of a sudden, we had news that our 43-year-old son, Jeff, living in Nanaimo, BC, has second-stage lymphoma, non-Hopkins lymphoma. Out of where? How? God, where did this come from? See, we're just in a process here, friends. We're growing, we're learning, and together we're seeing the glory of God. I'm trusting for my son, Jeff, the same as I've trusted for Elmer. I don't know how God's going to do what God's going to do, but he's going to do it, and he's going to do it for his honor and glory. In the book of Isaiah, we read, Your name and your renown are our delight. That's what we're living for, friends. We're living so that the glory goes to God and the people around us will see and know that God is alive and well and he answers the prayers of his people. Let's go back to Luke 18, verse 6. These are the words of Jesus. The lesson that he wanted us to learn is always pray and never give up. Always pray and never give up. And this is the conclusion of that story between the widow and the unjust judge. And now Jesus applies it. He said, verse 6, he said, Then the Lord said, Learn a lesson from the unjust judge. Even he, that is referring to the miserable unjust judge, rendered a just decision in the end. And now he speaks straight to us. He's looking us straight in the eye. He's looking straight at us this morning. He's speaking to us. He said, so don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry to him day and night don't you think if this crazy miserable old judge would give justice don't you think God who loves who loves justice who loves his people will hear his people answer his people if they call to him day and night I'm not just talking whispers prayers when you're when, when you're in danger and you're in trouble I'm talking about consistent prayer life. We're here basically as a church of believers. I know there are some here that do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. I want you to know there is a living God that answers prayer. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I want you to know that there is one who cares for you, who loves you as much as he loves me. And here I am, standing here all these years later to the glory of God. I, we've got so many stories that we could share, but I'm telling you, God is a miracle-working God. He's a miracle-working God. He loves His people. He loves you. 
He loves me. And he says, so, Jesus said, so do you think God wouldn't do so? He said, yes, he will. He will do it quickly. Then he ends up, verse 8. He said, will I find faith on the earth when I come back? Where is your faith this morning? Where is your faith this morning? Yes, sometimes you have to trust ourselves into doctor's hands and this and that and the other. But our faith must be anchored in God. Our faith must be anchored in Christ Jesus. I'd like the prayer team to come up this morning. I know that there's going to be people coming for prayer today. I want you to know that God intervenes. And why would tell these miraculous stories? Sherry told you. Here we are in need of prayer ourselves. Our son Jeff has, has cancer. The doctors have said 10 years maybe. How is that possible? The same God who works yesterday and today and forever. Hallelujah. He's the same. If you have a need this morning, I want you to know that prayer works. Not only today, it will work always. Those of us, he said, won't prayer work for those he has chosen. For his people he has called. And so this morning, if you're called and chosen by God and you're going through a tough time, well, you understand that God loves to answer prayer, that God intervenes in miraculous ways. Not the way necessarily you want him to work, not the way that you command him to work. That doesn't work that way. He is God. Trust him. Trust him for the answer. Trust him.